Chapter Twenty One, Part One of Elsie Venner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Elsie Venner by Oliver Wendell Holmes. Chapter Twenty One: The Widow Rowans Gives a Tea Party there was a good deal of interest felt as has been said in the lonely condition of dudley venner in that fine mansion-house of his and with that strange daughter who would never be married as many people thought in spite of all the stories the feelings expressed by the good folks who dated from the time when they buried sour little annie marie and others of that homespun stripe were founded in reason after all and so it was natural enough that they should be shared by various ladies who having conjugated the verb to live as far as the preter plu perfect tense were ready to change one of its vowels and begin with it in the present indicative unfortunately there was very little chance of showing sympathy in its active form for a gentleman who kept himself so much out of the way as the master of the dudley mansion various attempts had been made from time to time of late years to get him out of his study which had for the most part proved failures it was a surprise therefore when he was seen at the great party at the colonel's but it was an encouragement to try him again and the consequence had been that he had received a number of notes inviting him to various smaller entertainments which as neither he nor elsie had any fancy for them he had politely declined such was the state of things when he received an invitation to take tea sociably with a few friends at hyacinth cottage the residence of the widow rowens relict of the late beery rowens esq better known as major rowens major rowens was at the time of his decease a promising officer in the militia in the direct line of promotion as his waistband was getting tighter every year and as all the world knows the militia officer who splits off most buttons and fills the largest sword-belt stands the best chance of rising or perhaps we might say spreading to be general major rowens united in his person certain other traits which help a man to eminence in the branch of public service referred to he ran to high colors to wide whiskers to open pores he had the saddle-leather skin common in englishmen rarer in americans never found in the brahmin caste oftener in the military and the commodores observing people know what is meant blow the seed arrows from the white kid-looking button which holds them on a dandelion stalk and the pricked pincushion surface shows you what to look for he had the loud gruff voice which implies the right to command he had the thick hand stubbed fingers with bristled pads between their joints square broad thumbnails and sturdy limbs which mark a constitution made to use in rough outdoor work he had the never-failing predilection for showy switch-tailed horses that step high and sidle about 
and act as if they were going to do something fearful the next minute in the face of awed and admiring multitudes gathered at mighty musters or imposing cattle shows he had no objection either to holding the reins in a wagon behind another kind of horse a slouching listless beast with a strong slant to his shoulder and a notable depth to his quarter and an emphatic angle at the hawk who commonly walked or lounged along in a lazy trot of five or six miles an hour but if a lively colt happened to come rattling up alongside or a brandy-faced old horse-jockey took the road to show off a fast nag and threw his dust into the major's face would pick his legs up all at once and straighten his body out and swing off into a three-minute gait in a way that old blue himself need not have been ashamed of for some reason which must be left to the next generation of professors to find out the men who are knowing in horseflesh have an eye also for let a long dash separate the brute creation from the angelic being now to be named for lovely woman of this fact there can be no possible doubt and therefore you shall notice that if a fast horse trots before two one of the twain is apt to be a pretty bit of muliebrity with shapes to her and eyes flying about in all directions major rowans at that time lieutenant of the rockland fusiliers had driven and traded horses not a few before he turned his acquired skill as a judge of physical advantages in another direction he knew a neat snug hoof a delicate pastern a broad haunch a deep chest a close ribbed-up barrel as well as any other man in the town he was not to be taken in by your thick-jointed heavy-headed cattle without any go to them that suit a country parson nor yet by the gaunted-up long-legged animals with all their constitutions bred out of them such as rich greenhorns buy and cover up with their plated trappings whether his equine experience was of any use to him in the selection of the mate with whom he was to go in double harness so long as they both should live we need not stop to question at any rate nobody could find fault with the points of miss marilla van dusen to whom he offered the privilege of becoming mrs rowens the van must have been crossed out of her blood for she was an out-and-out -out brunette with hair and eyes black enough for a mohawk's daughter a fine style of woman with very striking tints and outlines an excellent match for the lieutenant except for one thing she was marked by nature for a widow she was evidently got up for mourning and never looked so well as in deep black with jet ornaments the man who should dare to marry her would doom himself for how could she become the widow she was bound to be unless he could retire and give her a chance the lieutenant lived however as we have seen to become captain and then major with prospects of further advancement but mrs rowens often said she would never look well in colors at last her destiny fulfilled itself and the justice of nature was vindicated major rowens got overheated galloping about the field on the day of the great muster and had a rush of blood to the head according to the common report 
at any rate something which stopped him short in his career of expansion and promotion and established mrs rowens in her normal condition of widowhood the widow rowens was now in the full bloom of ornamental sorrow a very shallow crape bonnet frilled and froth-like allowed the parted raven hair to show its glossy smoothness a jet pin heaved upon her bosom with every sigh of memory or emotion of unknown origin jet bracelets shone with every movement of her slender hands cased in close-fitting black gloves her sable dress was ridged with manifold flounces from beneath which a small foot showed itself from time to time clad in the same hue of mourning everything about her was dark except the whites of her eyes and the enamel of her teeth the effect was complete gray's elegy was not a more perfect composition much as the widow was pleased with the costume belonging to her condition she did not disguise from herself that under certain circumstances she might be willing to change her name again thus for instance if a gentleman not too far gone in maturity of dignified exterior with an ample fortune and of unexceptionable character should happen to set his heart upon her and the only way to make him happy was to give up her weeds and go into those fine unbecoming colors again for his sake why she felt that it was in her nature to make the sacrifice by a singular coincidence it happened that a gentleman was now living in rockland who united in himself all these advantages who he was the sagacious reader may very probably have divined just to see how it looked one day having bolted her door and drawn the curtains close and glanced under the sofa and listened at the keyhole to be sure there was nobody in the entry just to see how it looked she had taken out an envelope and written on the back of it mrs manilla venner it made her head swim and her knees tremble what if she should faint or die or have a stroke of palsy and they should break into the room and find that name written how she caught it up and tore it into little shreds and then could not be easy until she had burned the small heap of pieces but these are things which every honourable reader will consider imparted in strict confidence the widow rowens though not of the mansion-house set was among the most genteel of the two-story circle and was in the habit of visiting some of the great people in one of these visits she met a dashing young fellow with an olive complexion at the house of a professional gentleman who had married one of the white necks and pairs of fat arms from a distinguished family before referred to the professional gentleman himself was out but the lady introduced the olive-complexioned young man as mr richard venner the widow was particularly pleased with this accidental meeting had heard mr venner's name frequently mentioned hoped his uncle was well and his charming cousin was she as original as ever had often admired that charming creature he rode he had had some fine horses had never got over her taste for riding but could find nobody that liked a good long gallop since well she couldn't help wishing she was alongside of him the other day when she saw him dashing by just at twilight the widow paused lifted a flimsy handkerchief 
with a very deep black border so as to play the jet bracelet pushed the tip of her slender foot beyond the lowest of her black flounces looked up looked down looked at mr richard the very picture of artless simplicity as represented in well-played genteel comedy a good bit of stuff dick said to himself and something of it left yet caramba the major had not studied points for nothing and the widow was one of the right sort the young man had been a little restless of late and was willing to vary his routine by picking up an acquaintance here and there so he took the widow's hint he should like to have a scamper of half a dozen miles with her some fine morning the widow was infinitely obliged was not sure that she could find any horse in the village to suit her but it was so kind in him would he not call at hyacinth cottage and let her thank him again there thus began an acquaintance which the widow made the most of and on the strength of which she determined to give a tea-party and invite a number of persons of whom we know something already she took a half-sheet of note-paper and made out her list as carefully as a country merchant's clerk adds up two and threepence new england nomenclature and twelve and a half cents figure by figure and fraction by fraction before he can be sure they will make half a dollar without cheating somebody after much consideration the list reduced itself to the following names mr richard venner and mrs blanche creamer the lady at whose house she had met him mansion-house breed but will come soft on dick dudley venner take care of him herself elsie dick will see to her won't it fidget the creamer woman to see him round her the old doctor he's always handy and there's that young master there up at the school know him well enough to ask him oh yes he'll come one two three four five six seven not room enough without the leaf in the table one place empty if the leaf's in let's see helen darley she'll do well enough to fill it up why yes just the thing light brown hair blue eyes won't my pattern show off well against her put her down she's worth her tea and toast ten times over nobody knows what a thunder and lightning woman as poor major used to have it is till she gets alongside of one of those old maidish girls with hair the color of brown sugar and eyes like the blue of a teacup the widow smiled with a feeling of triumph at having overcome her difficulties and arranged her party arose and stood before her glass three-quarters front one-quarter profile so as to show the whites of the eyes and the down of the upper lip splendid said the widow and to tell the truth she was not far out of the way and with helen darley as a foil anybody would know she must be foudroyant and pyramidal if these french adjectives may be naturalized for this one particular exigency so the widow sent out her notes the black grief which had filled her heart and had overflowed in surges of crape around her person had left a deposit half an inch wide at the margin of her note-paper her seal was a small youth with an inverted torch the same on which mrs blanche creamer made her spiteful remark that she expected to see the boy of the widow's standing on his head yet 
meaning as dick supposed that she would get the torch right side up as soon as she had a chance that was after dick had made the widow's acquaintance and mrs creamer had got it into her foolish head that she would marry that young fellow if she could catch him how could he ever come to fancy such a quadroon-looking thing as that she should like to know it is easy enough to ask seven people to a party but whether they will come or not is an open question as it was in the case of the spirits of the vasty deep if the note issues from a three-story mansion-house and goes to two-story acquaintances they will all be in an excellent state of health and have much pleasure in accepting this very polite invitation if the note is from the lady of a two-story family to three-story ones the former highly respectable person will very probably find that an epidemic complaint is prevalent not represented in the weekly bills of mortality which occasions numerous regrets in the bosoms of eminently desirable parties that they cannot have the pleasure of and so forthing in this case there was room for doubt mainly as to whether elsie would take a fancy to come or not if she should come her father would certainly be with her dick had promised and thought he could bring elsie of course the young schoolmaster will come and that poor tired-out looking helen if only to get out of sight of those horrid peckham wretches they don't get such invitations every day the others she felt sure of all but the old doctor who might have some horrid patient or other to visit tell him elsie venner's going to be there he always likes to have an eye on her they say oh he'd come fast enough without any more coaxing she wanted the doctor particularly it was odd but she was afraid of elsie she felt as if she should be safe enough if the old doctor were there to see to the girl and then she should have leisure to devote herself more freely to the young lady's father for whom all her sympathies were in a state of lively excitement it was a long time since the widow had seen so many persons round her table as she had now invited better have the plates set and see how they will fill it up with the leaf in a little too scattering with only eight plates set if she could find two more people now that would bring the chairs a little closer snug you know which makes the company sociable the widow thought over her acquaintances why how stupid there was her good minister the same who had married her and might might bury her for aught she knew and his granddaughter staying with him nice little girl pretty and not old enough to be dangerous for the widow had no notion of making a tea-party and asking people to it that would be like to stand between her and any little project she might happen to have on anybody's heart not she it was all right now blanche was married and so forth letty was a child elsie was his daughter helen darley was a nice worthy drudge poor thing faded faded colors wouldn't wash just what she wanted to show off against now if the dudley mansion-house people would only come that was the great point here's a note for us elsie said her father as they sat round the breakfast-table mrs rowens wants all of us to come to tea it was one of elsie's days as old sophie called them 
the light in her eyes was still but very bright she looked up so full of perverse and wilful impulses that dick knew he could make her go with him and her father he had his own motives for bringing her to this determination and his own way of setting about it i don't want to go he said what do you say uncle to tell the truth richard i don't much fancy the major's widow i don't like to see her weeds flowering out quite so strong i suppose you don't care about going elsie elsie looked up in her father's face with an expression which he knew but too well she was just in the state which the plain sort of people call contrary when they have to deal with it in animals she would insist on going to that tea-party he knew it just as well before she spoke as after she had spoken if dick had said he wanted to go and her father had seconded his wishes she would have insisted on staying at home it was no great matter her father said to himself after all very likely it would amuse her the widow was a lively woman enough perhaps a little coma il ne faut pas socially compared with the thorntons and some other families but what did he care for these petty village distinctions elsie spoke i mean to go you must go with me dudley you may do as you like dick that settled the dudley mansion business of course they all three accepted as fortunately did all the others who had been invited hyacinth cottage was a pretty place enough a little too much choked round with bushes and too much overrun with climbing roses which in the season of slugs and rosebugs were apt to show so brown about the leaves and so coleopterous about the flowers that it might be questioned whether their buds and blossoms made up for those unpleasant animal combinations especially as the smell of whale oil soap was very commonly in the ascendant over that of the roses it had its patch of grass called the lawn and its glazed closet known as the conservatory according to that system of harmless fictions characteristic of the rural imagination and shown in the names applied to many familiar objects the interior of the cottage was more tasteful and ambitious than that of the ordinary two-story dwellings in place of the prevailing haircloth covered furniture the visitor had the satisfaction of seating himself upon a chair covered with some of the widow's embroidery or a sofa luxurious with soft caressing plush the sporting tastes of the late major showed in various prints on the wall herring's plenipotentiary the red bullock of the thirty-four derby cadland and the colonel crucifix west australian fastest of modern racers and among native celebrities ugly game old boston with his straight neck and ragged hips and grey lady suffolk queen in her day not of the turf but of the track extending herself till she measured a rod more or less skimming along within a yard of the ground her legs opening and shutting under her with a snap like the four blades of a compound jackknife these pictures were much more refreshing than those dreary fancy deathbed scenes common in two-story country houses in which washington and other distinguished personages are represented as obligingly devoting their last moments to taking a prominent part in a tableau 
in which weeping relatives attached servants professional assistants and celebrated personages who might by a stretch of imagination be supposed present are grouped in the most approved style of arrangement about the chief actor's pillow a single glazed bookcase held the family library which was hidden from vulgar eyes by green silk curtains behind the glass it would have been instructive to get a look at it as it always is to peep into one's neighbor's bookshelves from other sources and opportunities a partial idea of it has been obtained the widow had inherited some books from her mother who was something of a reader young's night thoughts the preceptor the task a poem by william cowper hervey's meditations alonzo and melissa buccaneers of america the triumphs of temper la belle assembly thompson's seasons and a few others the major had brought in tom jones and peregrine pickle various works by mr pierce egan boxiana the racing calendar and a book of lively songs and jests the widow had added the poems of lord byron and t moore eugene aram the tower of london by harrison ainsworth some of scott's novels the pickwick papers a volume of plays by william shakespeare proverbial philosophy pilgrim's progress the whole duty of man a present when she was married with two celebrated religious works one by william law and the other by philip doddridge which were sent her after her husband's death and which she had tried to read but found that they did not agree with her of course the bookcase held a few school manuals and compendiums and one of mr webster's dictionaries but the gilt-edged bible always lay on the centre table next to the magazine with the fashion plates and the scrapbook with pictures from old annuals and illustrated papers the reader need not apprehend the recital at full length of such formidable preparations for the widow's tea-party as were required in the case of colonel sproul's social entertainment a tea-party even in the country is a comparatively simple and economical piece of business as soon as the widow found that all her company were coming she set to work with the aid of her smart maid-servant and a daughter of her own who was beginning to stretch and spread at a fearful rate but whom she treated as a small child to make the necessary preparations the silver had to be rubbed also the grand plated urn her mother's before hers style of the empire looked as if it might have been made to hold the major's ashes then came the making and baking of cake and gingerbread the smell whereof reached even as far as the sidewalk in front of the cottage so that small boys returning from school snuffed it in the breeze and discoursed with each other on its suggestions so that the widow leech who happened to pass remembered she hadn't called on merrily rowans for a considerable spell and turned in at the gate and rang three times with long intervals but all in vain the inside widow having spotted the outside one through the blinds and whispered to her aides-de-camp to let the old thing ring away till she pulled the bell out by the roots but not to stir to open the door widow rowan's was what they called a real smart capable woman not very great on books perhaps 
but knew what was what and who was who as well as another knew how to make the little cottage look pretty how to set out a tea-table and what a good many women never can find out knew her own style and got herself up tip-top as our young friend master geordie colonel sprowl's heir apparent remarked to his friend from one of the freshwater colleges flowers were abundant now and she had dressed her rooms tastefully with them the centre table had two or three gilt-edged books lying carelessly about on it and some prints and a stereoscope with stereographs to match chiefly groups of picnics weddings etc in which the same somewhat fatigued-looking ladies of fashion and brides received the attentions of the same unpleasant-looking young men easily identified under their different disguises consisting of fashionable raiment such as gentlemen are supposed to wear habitually with these however were some pretty english scenes pretty except for the old fellow with the hanging underlip who infests every one of that interesting series and a statue or two especially that famous one commonly called the lacoon so as to rhyme with moon and spoon and representing an old man with his two sons in the embraces of two monstrous serpents there is no denying that it was a very dashing achievement of the widows to bring together so considerable a number of desirable guests she felt proud of her feet but as to the triumph of getting dudley venner to come out for a visit to hyacinth cottage she was surprised and almost frightened at her own success so much might depend on the impressions of that evening End of chapter twenty one part one